0: So the most popular website on all of the internet is google.com. And so I got curious this week, what are the most frequently asked questions on google.com? And so I found three questions that out of all, millions of people use Google all over the world every day. Three most commonly asked questions. Two of them did not surprise me at all, made perfect sense. Uh, but one of them was really really enlightening. Maybe it's pressing in your life. It wasn't so much in mine. Here, here's the top three questions. Number one most asked question on Google is this, what is the meaning of life? All right, people searching, asking Google, what am I here for? What is life? What does this mean? What's my purpose? Uh, so that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me at all. Second question was this, what is love? If you want to know what love is, ask Google. They will tell you a lot of, a lot of different things. The third one, though, really, really intrigued me. I don't know if you guys are asking this on a regular basis, but I'm not. I never have. Um, here, here, here it was Why is the sky blue? That is the third most frequently asked question on Google. So that tells me one thing. Either there's something about that 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 people are excited about that I don't know about, or you have a lot of free time on your hands that you're spending on Google asking questions. Here's another interesting question. This question was asked 22 million times in 2016 on Google. It was this, is Santa Claus real? Who asked that? I mean, come on, man! How else do those presents get downstairs? Of course, he's real. But twenty-two million people needed to ask Google that question. We are also in a, a culture, in a world where we are do-it-yourselfers. We like to do it ourselves. We like to fix it ourselves. We like to make it ourselves. Like we are all do-it-do-it-yourselfers. A lot of people are. And so there's this, this question that pops up on Google a lot that starts with "how to." And so I got curious, what are the questions, what what are the things that people are asking Google how to actually accomplish? So here's the top ten. Top ten. Number ten, how to lose belly fat. Some top ten questions asking Google. Number nine, how to make French toast. (laughs) Pretty awesome. Number eight, how to write a cover letter. Uh, Number seven, how to make pancakes. So number 7 is how to make pancakes, number 9 is how to make french toast, which explains why number 10 is how do you lose belly fat? <laughs> number 6, how to make money. That's interesting. Number 5, how to draw. Number 4, how to lose weight. Number 3, how to get pregnant. Be careful googling that one. You some stuff may All right. Number 2, how to kiss. Let's ask Google, how do you kiss somebody? Number, number one, the most frequently asked question on Google on how to, how to tie a necktie. So you dudes, it's been too long since you've last worn a tie, and you've got to Google it to figure out how to tie this thing or do a new, a new kind of knot or whatever it is. The best question, though, that I ran across, I think my grandma contributed some to this, but the, the best question that I ran across was this. Two million times last year, someone typed this into Google. How do I Google something? That I love that right there. <laughs> How do you Google something? I don't know. Let's ask Google, and they will, they will tell us what this Google thing is. In, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes this letter to the city of Corinth. It's in the country of Greece, still there today. And uh, Throughout the book, Paul starts out different sections, different chapters, with this phrase, Now, regarding your question about, and then fill in the blank. So here's what happened. Um, The people in Corinth, they didn't have Google. They didn't have the Internet. They couldn't text message Paul. So if they had a question or a comment or a concern, they had to write a letter to him. And they would write him this letter, and they would ask him all kind of questions. What about this? What about that? How are we supposed to do this? What does this look like? Can you tell us, like, the answer to this theological? But, But all of the questions were actually not theological questions. Some were really practical. Uh, just really basic, like every day. I, I, Paul, I've got some questions. Not, not like what is the meaning of life or where do you find love, but even more daily things than that. Questions that that I would get, and this is the reason why I want to share it with you this morning. I get this same question at least once a month. People inside the church and outside the church. Here's, here's what Paul's going to say in in chapter 16, verse 1. Here's Here's what he says. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. These people inside the church had call, written to Paul, sent letters and they're like, "Paul, like what's the deal with the money, man?" <laughs> Churches talk about money, pastors talk about money, like I saw a TV evangelist the other day talking about money like, "Paul, tell us the deal about money." Like, can we clear this up? Because some people are saying give. Some people say don't. Some people say give this much. other people say give more than that. Some say give outside the church. Some people say give to the church. Paul, like, what's the deal with money? I get that question all the time as a pastor. What's the deal with money? And there's two different sides that people ask it. There's, there's kind of the, the, like the honest, innocent side. Uh, we have people that give their life to Jesus here. And, and I've had people come up to me and say, Nathan, during the service, like, when that basket passes, what is that? Uh, Some people are dropping envelopes in there? Is it for trash? Like, Is that what you do? Do you put your pen in there? Um, Is it kind of like, you know when you go to the gas station and there's that little tray of pennies? If you need a penny, take a penny, but if you have a penny, leave a penny. Can I break change out of it? Like, what, what is the deal with this? And so, it's really cool to be able to talk to someone that's just given their life to Jesus or hasn't really, doesn't know the whole church deal thing. It's really cool to be able to say, hey, this is a way that we worship. This is a way that we honor God with our generosity and with our finances. But on the other side, you'll have people that unfortunately have a very negative connotation and idea about generosity and about money inside of a church. And that's because chances are they came from a church that maybe did a really poor job of communicating that. Maybe they saw a a TV preacher and and they said, oh, if you'll mail me five dollars, I'll send you a prayer hanky and you can put it under your pillow and your life is going to be great. Mail in your money now. And Maybe that was the guy that you remember, or maybe your last church it just felt like they were guilting you, or manipulating you, or trying to make you get emotional and and give money even though you didn't want to or didn't know how. And so Paul's got on both sides. We have these different people asking Paul, "What's the deal with the money, man? Like, let's let's talk about why do churches talk about it? Why do pastors talk about it? Why does it feel like God just wants my money? Why are you asking me for my what? What exactly are we supposed to do?" So Paul starts out this text and says hey, let me let me let me address your question about the money you know, let me address what happens when you when you give and paul's going to address it not from the standpoint of guilt not from the standpoint of like trying to manipulate you emotionally or to tell you a sad sob story so that you'll open up your wallet and give he says man let, let me just shoot you straight about what this is all about and paul begins to talk about in this text this idea of generosity And so in in verse 16, let me reread that first verse. He says, now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the church in Galatia. It's cool because Paul says this is not like an exclusive thing. Like generosity is something that all churches do. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus today, you're a Christian, like this is it. He said the church in Galatia does it. The church in Corinth does it. Every single letter that Paul wrote to a church that we have in Scripture has some mention of generosity in it, giving instruction on what that looks like. And here's the pushback that I get. Okay, So Paul's instructing the church to give. And here's what people will say, and I'll tell you like, right now, I get it 100%. People say, wait a minute, shouldn't giving be my decision from the heart? Like, what is Paul doing forcing people to give. Why is Paul saying you have to give? Christians should give. You should be generous. Like, isn't it, doesn't that take the, the heart out of it? If I have to do it, if God says I have to give, or Paul, this pastor, or this church, if they say I have to give, like, it, doesn't that take all of the heart out of it? Why should you do that? Don't mess with the heart behind giving. Scripture says that, and I get that 100%. Let me tell you what Paul's doing here. I'll give you an illustration for what Elizabeth and I do with our kids. Every night... I force my kids to brush their teeth every single night. They don't want to do it. We have, we have toothbrushes in all different shapes and sizes, all different colors, all different cartoon characters. Some of them wiggle. Some of them sing songs. Some of them have lights. We have different flavored toothpastes, every kind of flavor you could possibly imagine. But they still don't want to brush their teeth. And here's what I do. I make my kids brush their teeth every night. Now, now I understand what you're saying. You may think, well, Nathan, you, be careful with their heart, right? You know, Because if you make them brush their teeth, then they're going to grow up hating toothpaste, and they're never going to brush their teeth again. Like, listen, when my kids are this young, uh, like I'm not worried about their heart and how they feel about toothpaste. I'm going to teach them how to brush their teeth. Here's the deal. When you teach your kids something at a young age, it becomes a habit when they get older. It's second nature. And Paul says, as the church I'm showing you generosity I'm teaching you generosity not to force you to do it but because I know as a young church as a young follower of Jesus if you'll get in the habit of being generous now then it'll be just second nature later you won't even have to try you won't even have to think about it my mom forced me terrible mother to brush my teeth twice a day growing up now I still brush my teeth twice a day don't even think about it like I don't have to remind myself I don't have an alarm on my phone like it's a habit i do it every morning and every night and sometimes in the middle of the day paul says i want to teach you this habit i want to show you now what generosity looks like i'm not worried about your tender heart when it comes to giving like i want you to be habitual about it i want to teach you this from a very young age see paul is teaching them now so that it will be a habit later So this is something that we do, Elizabeth and I do with my kids. Let me tell you how we're teaching them generosity. Um, We have these little piggy banks. My dad gave both my girls these piggy banks. And uh, we live, in our family, we live by the 80-10-10 rule. We live off of 80% of our money. We save 10% of our money. And we give away 10% of our money, right? And so we've even got these piggy banks for our kids where there's three different slots at the top, share, save, and spend. And we give our kids money, not because they have earned it or they ever make their bet up, but we give them to them because we're trying to teach them how to manage money. We want to teach our daughters, even at the young age of four, Lydia's four, we want to teach our kids what it means to be generous. Every time they get money, we teach them 80, 10, 10. Lydia, she just dumps all of it in whichever one she likes. But Leah, at, at, at second, third grade, she puts it in there and knows how to like say, this is how much we spend, this is how much we save, and, and this is how much we. Live off of. So 80% we live off of, 10% we save, 10% we give away. Can I tell you something? I've never met a person that lived their life by the 80-10-10 rule that regretted it. Not one time have I ever looked at my savings account and it had money in there and thought to myself, man I hate you dad for teaching me how to do that. Man, not one time have I realized that I'm not in debt and thought, man, Dad, I can't believe you taught me how to save 10% of my money. I cannot believe everybody else is in debt, and I'm not. I can't believe they're having fun being in debt, and I don't have any. I've never met someone that lives their life by the 80-10-10 rule that that is regretful that they decided to live their life that way. But I do meet a lot of people that when they hear about that, they say, wow, I wish I would have started that earlier. I wish I would have gotten used to living just off of 80% because here are the stats in America today. The average family in America is in debt, credit card debt, $5,800. We're not talking about mortgage. We're not talking about student loans. We're not talking about any other kind of debt. We're talking about just credit card, $5,800. The average American lives off of 101 to 105% of the money that they make. Now, I don't know if you're a math person, but that's bad. When you live off of more money than you bring in, that's bad. 105% of what people bring in each month is what the average American is living off of. But we put this 80-10-10 rule where we say we honor God with 10% of our money, we save 10% of our money, and we live off of the other 80%. You'll never get in trouble like that. And I know that's hard. And, and like, if you're at your point right now where you're already living off 105% of your income, like when you think about dropping down 25% to 80%, I know that's hard. Will you do me a favor? Will you just teach your kids this? Like, Will you just teach your kids so that they won't be financially strapped, so that they won't be a slave to debt, so that they'll have money in their savings account and they'll know how to honor God with it every month? Will you just do that? This message brought to you by 801010. So that was, that was totally free. That's just what we do. I'm not going to charge you for that. So here's what Paul is going to show us from this text. Paul is going to give us four myths about generosity. There are myths that you believe and that I believe about generosity. Crazy thing is, it's the same thing that these people in Scripture believed about generosity. Everybody wants to be generous. They want to be known as a generous person, but there are some myths and barriers that are keeping us from being generous in our life. And if you take a note, you may jot these down. Paul shares four ways that we can be generous, four myths to bust. Here's what he says in verse two. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it All at once. Three different myths just in that one verse. Here's the first one. We believe that generosity is a money issue. That's that's myth number one. Generosity, majority of people believe that generosity is a money issue. I can't be generous because I don't have the money to do it. Here's what Paul says. Generosity is a priority issue. Generosity is not a money issue. Every single person in this room can be generous. But you have to prioritize generosity. You will never accidentally be generous. You will never trip and fall into generosity. You will never wake up one day and just like, ah, I'm generous. It's not a money issue. It's a generosity. Here's what Paul says. On the first day of each week. On the first day, prioritize your generosity. On the first day. I can't wait to share this with you because I believe so many people are struggling with this idea. This small verse right here lets you know something very clear. Ready? God does not want your money. Let me say, I want to say that again because a lot of people are convinced. Pastors want my money, the church wants my money, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are like a tag team to get my money, and like everybody just wants my money. God does not want your money. And scripture is very clear that that's the purpose behind this. So many people struggle with this idea of he just wants my money, they want my money, God wants my money. God does not want your money. The pastor doesn't want your money. The church doesn't want your money. Jesus doesn't want your money. That's not what he says here. Let me me prove it to you. If God wanted your money, then Paul would not have said on the first day of the week, give. If God wanted your money, he wouldn't care when you gave. He would say, just give. Has your cable company ever called you and said, hey, uh, do me a favor, before you pay your grocery bill, can you make sure you pay the cable bill? No. You want to know why? Because they don't care what order it is. They just want your money. (laughs) I don't care if it's the first hundred or the middle hundred or the end hundred or you have to borrow a hundred from somebody. You just need to make sure the cable company gets their money. I'm going to send you an envelope so you can mail it in. That's all they care about. They just want your money. If God just wanted your money, Paul would have said, I don't care how you do it, you just better make sure you hook God up. It doesn't matter if it's first, middle, last, in between, borrow, credit card, debt, check, cash, coins. You just better make sure you give God the money. You want to know what God wants? God doesn't want your money. He wants your trust. Because when you give first... You have to learn how to trust God with the rest. God is not saying, I need your money so that you can hook me up. God is saying, I'm after more than that. I'm after your faith and your trust in me. Because when you give God the leftovers, you don't have to trust Him. You don't have to have any faith in Him. But when you give God first, when you prioritize generosity, then you have to say, All right, God, I've only got X amount of dollars left for the rest of the bills and the rest of the month. Who are you going to trust? It's all about priority with God. Paul communicates, it's not about your money. Don't say that it's about your money. God's not after your money. He's after your heart. He wants you to trust him. He wants your faith to be placed in him. If not, then he would have just said, God said, give me your money. Or God said, give me X amount of dollars and give it to me whenever. Just make sure I get it. No, he said, give first because God wants your priorities I think in our finances, it's one of the greatest tests that God puts us through to figure out what we really care about the most. Again, God doesn't need your money. He wants to know who matters the most in your life. Where are your priorities going to be? When we prioritize God first, it communicates, God, you're my top priority. You're, you're, the, you're my priority. I'm going to prioritize generosity. I'm going to give to you, and then I'm going to trust you with the rest. But it's a myth. We'll, we'll, we'll say, I can't be generous because I don't have enough money. Nah, it's a priority thing. If you give God first, you'll always have money. You haven't spent any of it yet. You can always be generous if you prioritize generosity. That's what he says. That's what Paul says. I want to make sure that you know this about generosity. Giving from the leftovers is an act of thankfulness, but giving from the first is an act of faith. And that's what God's after. Not after our money or our leftovers. He's after our trust and our faith and our heart. Generosity is a priorities issue. Here's the second myth that we uh, believe. Only rich people are generous. We believe that generosity is a money issue. And secondly, we believe that only rich people are generous. But in this text, Paul is going to say generosity is for every single Christian. Here's what Paul says. On the first day of the week, you should each put away. He doesn't say on the first day of the week, all the rich folk in the room, you should give. He doesn't say the majority of the people that actually have a bunch of stuff or some stuff or a little bit of stuff or stuff in general, then you should give. In Scripture, it never says, hey, if you're poor, don't give. Okay, If you're struggling, don't give. Don't honor God with that area. In fact, Scripture often elevates and celebrates stories of people that didn't have very much but still were generous still gave, still trusted God with what they have. The reason why we believe that you have to be rich in order to be generous is because we hear stories of rich people giving away tons of money. That's, so we're convinced, like you know, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Mark Cuban, guys like this, they give away millions of dollars a year. But you got to take a step back and realize that when you're worth billions of dollars, giving away millions of dollars is really not that much. It'd be like me or you just dropping a 10 or dropping a 20 in the offering basket today. Just because it's a lot of money doesn't mean it's generous. And so we've convinced ourselves, but if you're rich, you're generous. Can I share something with you? Not not from Scripture, but from scientific studies. They prove that there's no correlation in our country between the amount of money that you make and the level of your generosity. There's no study that says the more money you make, the more generous you are. You know what the studies show? The more money you make, you know what that means? You just made more money. That's it. <laughs> There's no correlation with, you know what, if I, if I hear people say, when I hit the lottery, I'm going to give. When I get a promotion, I'm going to give. That's when I'm, I'm going to be generous, Nathan. When I get that money, I'm going to be generous. When I come across that inheritance, when I get that signing bonus, that is when I'm going to be generous. And we've tricked ourselves into thinking that we can only be generous if we're rich. And so we're waiting to be rich So that one day, maybe, we can promise to be generous. Look, if you're not generous now, you won't be generous if you make more money. Because it's not a money issue. It's a priority issue. It's not something that just happens when we're rich. It's a decision that we make. Every Christian, Paul says, is called to be generous regardless of our income. If you have a little or you have a lot, you still put your faith in God. You still put your trust in Him. It's not a money issue generosity is not something we do generous is who we are third thing is this generosity is spontaneous a lot of people believe that generosity is spontaneous we see a need we meet a need we turn on the tv have you ever seen that sad commercial about the dogs on tv have you ever seen that commercial before I think they got beat up or something, or somebody abandoned them and there's this really sad song that plays during the commercial and I think the they may be Photoshop, but the dogs are crying and and uh it's weird and they're wet. I don't know how that happened, but they're wet, and they're crying, and there's a sad song playing in the background, and there's this little voice that says, if you don't give, these dogs won't get their shots, and they won't get their food, and you're like, oh my goodness, I have to give. Where will the dogs get their shots? And we call, and we donate, and the sad song, and we're crying, and we're writing checks, and calling 1-800-NUMBERS. That's giving out of emotions, other times we will see a need like Hurricane Harvey hits or Hurricane Irma hits. And there's, there's a big need and we, we give. like We step up. Red Cross, we got to give. That's, that's random acts of giving. That's totally, I, I love that. That's great. But don't confuse random acts of giving with generosity. Because random acts of giving are spontaneous. Generosity is planned. You have to plan it. You will never get to the end of your month and be like, hey, a ton of money left over. I think I'll be generous with it. You'll never get to the end of your week and say, I've got this huge amount of time that I can give. I don't know where these hours came from. Let's give it. Because generosity is not spontaneous. Generosity is planned and intentional. Here's here's the deal with generosity. Spontaneous giving is almost always built on emotion, guilt, or manipulation. But generosity is a choice. Generosity is a choice that we have to make. I'm going to share, again, a story that, of what Elizabeth and I do. And this is I know this is old school. Some of you may have never even heard of this before. But when Elizabeth and I give, we write a check. If you are under 21, you don't even know what that means. So go home and ask your mom, what does it mean to write a check? What is a check? But here's, we're old school, man. I get paid once a month. I get paid on the last day of the month. And so the next day, which is the first day of the new month, I write two checks. Right? So, I take my tithe and I cut it in half and I write a check. I give my offering on the first Sunday of the month and the third Sunday of the month. Elizabeth gets paid twice a month. So, she writes her tithe check. She gives her check on the second Sunday of the month and the fourth Sunday of the month. We want to give every Sunday. Like it's just an act of worship for us. I know you can put it on the machine back there. I know you can automate it on your phone. I I'm, I'm just old school, man. I love to put the check in the offering basket. I love to, to for that to be an act of worship and that's what we do. But the reason why we do that is because it's planned we plan it out. Because here's what's going to happen. If I don't write that check, if Elizabeth doesn't write her check, we're going to show up on Sunday morning, and Pastor Steven's going to come up on stage and say, hey, we're going to give to meet needs in the city. And you know what I'm realizing? I didn't bring my checkbook with me. I don't have any cash with me. I've been wrestling with my kids all morning or preparing the message or whatever. We're not thinking about it. And so even the people with the best intentions of generosity, if you don't plan it, you'll forget. Life happens. It's fast. It's crazy. And, and it's not spontaneous for us. We can't just, oh, okay, yeah, I'll pull out my checkbook and write it now. You have to plan it. Here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. He says, don't be spontaneous about it. Don't just walk up one day and be like, oh, man, shoot, I should have given. I don't have my checkbook. I don't have any cash. I, I, I can't even remember the last time I was generous. Plan it. Take it up now. Every week he encourages the people, give as an act of worship. Like don't just keep a running tally of it and hopefully one day you'll be able to make it if there's enough left over. It's planned. Generosity is not spontaneous. It's planned. We want to give every week. We write out a check, fold it up and put it in an envelope, and every Sunday morning we grab the check to bring it to church with us. It's just the way that works for us. Because even the people that are the most well-intended, they want to be generous. If you don't plan it out, it'll fall between the cracks. If you don't plan it and schedule it, then it'll never happen. So Paul encourages them, do it every time you gather. Let generosity be a part of your schedule. Plan it, don't let it be spontaneous. Here's the last two two verses, verse three and four. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. The fourth myth that we see is generosity is all about others. That's a myth generosity is all about others here's the truth scripture teaches this all the time generosity benefits both those that give and those that receive did you know that it's actually a benefit to you to be generous like i, listen, I know it's a, a benefit to other people like anytime other people get blessed with stuff that's good but did you know that generosity is just as much about you as it is about the person that is benefiting from your generosity proverbs 11 reads like this generous people prosper. Stingy people never have enough. They want to be generous, but they aren't because they don't think they have enough. Scripture is very clear on this. Generous people prosper. Now, we do not preach prosperity gospel here. I am not telling you that if you give a dollar today, you're going to go home and find a $10 bill in your mailbox. That's not what Scripture teaches. But you can't get around the fact that all throughout the Bible... God says generous people prosper. Generosity, God looks upon that and blesses that. God honors our worship through our generosity. And again, let, let me share with you something, not outside the Bible, or not in Scripture, let, let me share with you a, a study. Science says that generous people are more happy, they're more fulfilled, they have a better life, they admit that their life is better as a result of their generosity, and they advance further in their career than people that are not generous. Like, that's not Jesus, that's not the Bible, scientific studies. What are the benefits of generosity? Because generosity not only benefits those that you're helping, but it also benefits the giver. July 11, 2017, scientists say that even vocalizing a promise of generosity releases chemicals in your brain that produce a good feeling in your your insides that's a non-scientific term not even being generous but like saying i'm gonna meet a need i'm gonna give i'm gonna serve even vocalizing that out loud reduces chemicals in our life to make us feel better it's crazy what about you what about your generosity? I'm, I'm telling you, generosity for, for Revo is not about what I can get from you. Please don't leave here and say, the church wants something from me. I don't want anything from you. Scripture teaches that generosity is because Paul wanted something for you. Paul wanted something for the church. God wants something for his people. I think we got a really big opportunity here. I think the church has an opportunity to to stand up, to take a stand on generosity that I think could have a major impact on our city. Let me tell you why. Last year, in America, 2% of income was given away to charity. The average American gave 2%. Now, there's a, a good video that we showed before the message that has a really telling question it says, I know the world is all of these things, but the church is different, right? Church is different. That's, that's the question on the video. What do you think the percentage was for Christians last year and their generosity? Rest of America was 2%. Christians weighed in at a whopping 2.4%. That's lame. Do you know that during the Great Depression, Americans gave away 3.3% of their income. We're living in a day where our country has never had more money than it does right now. And in a time in our recent history where we've never been lower, we gave away more. So here's the deal. If everybody else is going to give away 2%, what could happen if the church decided to be generous? What would happen? What if we just doubled it? What if we just said, we'll give away 4%. We will give away twice as much money as everyone else in America. We'll make that commitment. Do you understand what could change? Like, Do you understand what we could be known for? We could be known for generosity. We could be known for living a life open-handed if we just did 4%. If we just made a commitment to honor God with that, what if that was what the church was known for? What if that was what followers of Jesus was known Oh yeah, that's the people that they give away twice as much as everybody else. They are two, three, four, five times as much generous or more generous than anybody else in our country. I like those people. Like They really care. They've really got a vested interest in what they believe in. I think this is a huge countercultural opportunity that we have right now. We could separate ourselves from everyone else in a really positive way if we just made a commitment to generosity. This is is how much I believe in it. Maybe you never heard a pastor say this before. I believe in the principles so much that if you're here today and you're a Christian, if you're a non-Christian, if you don't believe in Jesus, then Paul's not speaking to you here. I'm not speaking to you either. If you're here today and you're a Christian And you don't trust me or you don't trust Revo or you don't trust our advisory team or you don't trust our senior leadership team enough to give. Then I want you to go to another church so that you can give there. That's how much it means to me. I believe in these principles. If you don't trust us with your money, go to a church and go to a leadership team that you can trust and give your life away there. Invest your life there. Invest your finances. Be generous there. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And if you can't do that here, then go to a different church. Go somewhere else. Go somewhere where you can be generous. Give to something so that the name of Jesus can be proclaimed. Even if it's not here, I'll help you find another church. If you can go and give your life there. If for some reason you can't do it here, that's how much we believe in generosity. That even if it's not here, we want you to go do it. Even if it's with someone else, go give your life away there. Not only so that your life can be changed, but so that we can continue to see life change here in the city. I believe that God will take your generosity and not only change other people's lives, but he will do something in your life as well. That's our prayer for you. That's our hope that we can be known Not by doing something, but by being someone. Not just by our generosity, but by people saying, those followers of Jesus, they're just generous. That's just who they are. They want to see life change that bad. They're willing to give. Let's find a place where you can do that. Honor God. Love for it to be here. But if not, just give it somewhere. Do something to change the world.